Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I never had any aspirations of working in the post office. I never saw myself working at a UPS facility or a packing store. Of course, I respect all those jobs. I just never saw it for myself. But if you asked me now to make a resume of the jobs I've had in the past five or so years, it occurred to me that I would have to put shipping manager on my resume. It is one of my strongest skills. You see, the more online shopping I do, the better I get at the return process. I even have shipping supplies. I have draws of shipping supplies in my home. And what's crazier is that I think most of us do. I have rolls and rolls of packing tape. I have padded envelopes for those just-in-case moments. I have, you guys, I'm embarrassed to say this, but every once in a while, I keep a pristine shipping box that I get from somewhere in the event that maybe I return my Zara order and then a couple days later, I realize the one thing I kept, I want to return and then I'd have no box. So sometimes if there's a pristine looking box, I, I keep it in my entryway for the times I might want to ship something back. I can honestly say one of my strong suits at this point in my life is shipping things. I should open one of those packing stores. I don't want to have one. I don't like the process of it. No, I'm not like, oh, I enjoy it. It's therapeutic. No, I need to make the deadline. I need to make the return deadline. The whole thing is, to be honest, a pain in the ass. But it's part of my life and I accept it. Does anyone else feel like they work in a UPS store? And there's like a lot of different rules at different places. Sometimes they send you a label. Those are the most luxurious ones because it's a peel and slap situation. But then other times you have to get an RMA and, and print the label yourself. Those are totally annoying because then you have to print the label. The printer's always having problems and you have to tape it on. And then the worst, the worst ones, the ones where you have to provide your own label like a psychopath. Who has, who, who has the time? I mean, that never happens anymore, but when it does, I make a mental note to always read the return instructions and, and I never do. So sometimes you have a three-day window. Sometimes it's a 14-day window. Sometimes it's 30 days, which seems to be standard. And then once in a blue moon, who do they think they are? They have a no return policy. If anyone needs tips and tricks on boxing and packaging and returning, I'm here as your source, your wealth of information, a job I never wanted to have. Hey guys, welcome to Social Studies. I'm your host, Jenna Kingsley, and I promise you this is nothing like the social studies you learned in school. Okay, my don't hate me of the week. Don't hate me, but I do not want to see you open your presence on the internet. I don't. I don't understand it. I don't understand unboxing, which we'll get into at another time, a different episode. But I don't understand the opening of gifts. First of all, it makes me uncomfortable at a baby shower or a bridal shower where everyone has to sit around to go, ooh, ah, wow. 
But now no one's even invited to the party. We're not even getting little tea sandwiches or pastel colored pastries like we do at the other events. We don't get mimosas. We're just sitting there in our pajamas in our bed being forced to watch you enjoy your gift for absolutely no reason. Not you, but people feel inclined to open and post their gifts on their social media. And it just, it's a little weird to me. Don't hate me. But I don't know. Why is this a thing? Why do we post our gifts and then tag the recipient in it? Can't that just be between the two of us? Unless... I know I'm a hypocrite, unless it's something really funny. I do like seeing beautiful flowers, post your flowers. But if someone gets you a candle, do we need to see you open it and then post your gift or your bath salts? I don't get it. Maybe I'm old. Does this make me old? I don't know, but don't hate me. You guys, tomorrow... It is one year since I started this podcast. I just want to thank you guys so much. For those of you who've stayed with me the whole year, thank you so much. I always say I could not have done this without you guys. Honest to God. Literally, sometimes the reason I record is just because I hear from you guys and I'm like, okay, I got to keep going. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I cannot believe it's been a full year. Time flies when you're having fun. Uh, hopefully we're in it for, I don't know, another year. Should we go for another year? Uh, thank you again. I'm excited for today's episode, guys. Um, it's about, you know, all things dieting, fasting, dry January, sugar addiction with one of my very good friends who I think is hilariously funny. Um, but I felt that was a good social studies topic because these are things that we all deal with every day. Eating is something we all deal with. So I promise it's not boring. It's not like medical speak. I think it's pretty interesting and I think you will too. Also, quick reminder, if you haven't left a review yet, please go into Apple podcast and leave social studies a review and, uh, please share your favorite episodes on social media and tag me in it and I will always reshare. Thanks so much. And without any further ado, let's get into today's episode. Okay, guys, my guest today is a talented nutritionist who has written a book, The Little Book of Thin. She's also the host of the Food Trainers podcast, which is the name of her company, Food Trainers. And she's also a really good friend of mine. Please welcome Lauren Slayton. Well, thank you for having me. Lauren and I are are friends and we met when our boys were little and she has always been incredibly healthy. I should also mention she's from New York City, which I love. But she's obviously healthy. It's her job. Health is her job and her business. And I was always the antithesis of health. And Lauren, I used to go to Lauren and talk to her about my sugar addiction, which I have had my entire life. I've had a legit sugar addiction. And I remember going to Lauren one day and telling her I was going to give up sugar. This was probably eight years ago. Yeah, And I was like, ago. I'm going to give up sugar for 30 days. And I was so proud of myself. And she was like, okay, but you know, if you give up sugar, 
Because I thought giving up sugar was candy, cookies, cakes. Lauren had advised me that there's sugar and other things like bread, ketchup, salad dressing. There's hidden sugars everywhere. So Lauren put me on her September squeeze, which was, what is it, a two-week program? No, it's one week program, um, but it's no longer called the squeeze. So I know it was a really long time ago, but we have, but we have, you have it updated. I, I forgot that you had done that. I did it. Yeah. And by the way, so it was this very strict mm-hmm. when I did, it, I think it was supposed to be two weeks. Okay. I definitely cheated a little bit. I don't think I told mm. you that I might've, I probably did. I don't keep things like that, but I had like, you're not supposed to drink. I think I had some wine here or there, maybe a bottle or two a day. I don't know. Um, but it worked. Mm. I got off the addiction so much. So I was able to do the 30 days. And then before I knew it, 30 days turned into a year of no longer having to travel with candy in my bag, in my car. I could get on an airplane without having Twizzlers and M&Ms in my bag. So that, that worked. Mm-hmm. Until I had another setback a couple of years later when I moved a uh, a Trader Joe's opened on my corner and I had never lived across the street from a Trader Joe's. And let me just say, and you must hear this a lot as a nutritionist, but Trader Joe's disguises everything as healthy because you're like, how can it be bad for me? They're eggplant potato chips. (laughs) Is this a common thing that you hear? I mean, I feel like there's like health washing of anything. I don't know that it's exclusive to Trader Joe's, but you know, the cauliflower pretzel and, you know, the sort of the cauliflower, everything it's, you know, it's, you're more likely to overeat on something that is allegedly healthy or sort of health adjacent than on the real thing. I like health adjacent. Yeah, exactly. Um, But it's so funny listening to you talk about sugar, because I always thought of you as like one of those, like, naturally thin people who just ate too much sugar because you could. And it was sort of more of like a habit or a hobby than like, like hearing that, like you describe it as an, I mean, it is addictive rats choose, you know, sugar over cocaine. Yeah. So there is, you know, there's like a definite, you know, physiological component, but I never thought of you that way. I was raised in a house. Like we were healthy in the sense, like we didn't have, we, we gave up meat when we were 10. Cause my mom was like, we're no longer eating meat. Um, my mom was a triathlete. So we, we had always healthy meals, mm-hmm. but we were one of those houses that had every snack that you could possibly have. So coming home from school was normal. Like my friends would all come to my house because we always had every Entenmann's product. So as I'm Mm. telling you about my healthy house, it was also, we had all the junk food that any house Mm -hmm. could have, but we had limitations. We weren't allowed sugar cereal and we weren't allowed to have soda in the house, (laughs) But, but we could have Seven no soda with your no soda with your coffee cake. <laughs> no soda with my Entenmann's chocolate cake with the frosting, which by the way, I'd also have for breakfast when I was growing up. It's so funny that, you know, like even hearing like what the dynamic was, like if I wanted a snack, my mom would be like, have a peach. Right. <laughs> so we had no we had nobody at our house. <laughs> well, it's true because I didn't want to go to certain people's houses like my friend Harlan. Like they didn't have any good snacks. And I go to her house and it was like apples. And for dinner, we had to drink water with the dinner. And I just felt like they definitely gave out pennies on Halloween. Like it just was You felt badly for them. I did. (laughs) And 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 everyone would love coming to my house because it was like like you know, a snack party. Um, 
Anyway, Lauren helped me do that. And then a couple of years later, when this Trader Joe's thing happened, I, and I talked about this on Lauren's podcast, which you should definitely check out the Food Trainers podcast, Yeah, which is a great podcast for all things nutrition. We spoke right before the world ended. Right before the world <laughs> ended. And I was like, it's not going to be that bad. But I told this story that um, a Trader Joe's had opened and I, I am their target audience. I fall for all of it. God forbid there's a holiday theme, like a pumpkin. Mm -hmm. It's pumpkin week. I buy all the spice. By the way, I don't even like the pumpkin flavor, but I get sucked. It's like, there's like a novelty. It's festive. Yeah. I'm like, it's, oh my God, this is the only time I could get pumpkin ravioli. Like I have to have it. So I do that for the Christmas, like the peppermint bark, like you name it. I fell for all of it. And what happens at Trader Joe's is not only is everything inexpensive, but when you leave, you have to wait online through a Venetian bar. And it's, I I described it to Lauren, it's like leaving a ride at Disney World. Like you have to go out through the gift shop. So for someone like me, who, when I go to a supermarket, I'm never like, I need to buy English toffee. That never happens. But at Trader Joe's, I needed to buy a box of gourmet English toffee and 16,000 other desserts. So I was, I was, this is not a lie. I was having all of, because I love chocolate things for breakfast. I love Mm -hmm. candy for breakfast, which is horrible. I was having English toffee for breakfast. For lunch, I would have a pizza, a Trader Joe's pizza. A pumpkin pizza. Probably a pump, whatever the holiday du jour. And then for dinner, I would have one of their pastas or raviolis. And then I'd have tons of desserts. And you guys, I started to feel like I had Alzheimer's and I didn't mm-hmm. make the connection. And I went to the doctor and I got tested. I was like, I have Alzheimer's. It is, it's like, what's that movie? Suddenly Alice or. Oh, it's early so funny. I, was, I, I was thinking of, there's this movie, it's sugar where the subject, uh, you know, sort of ingest this insane amount of sugar. And then they, just as you described, but they measure his liver function and measure his brain function and, and, you know, sort of did all this blood work and you see him like not only physically change, but, you know, in his skin and the way he looked and everything, but the, the brain fog is legit. It's legit. And I went to the doc, I had tests and then I was like, Oh, wait a second. I remember when I stopped eating sugar, I lost a lot of my brain fog. So I went back on the, what is it? It's not the squeeze anymore. What is it? The fix. The fix. (laughs) But it's, but again, you, the reason it could be any any program, um, I know we'll, we'll talk about dry January a little bit, but for some habits, like there are people with certain things that can be moderate, but for certain habits, just to break them, you need to, you know, sort of um, remove it from your diet. I did that. I removed all the sugar. I went back to the whole, mm-hmm. what Lauren told me, which you're going to tell everyone in a minute, but I also removed dairy because of mm-hmm. inflammation. And I, I love, I love a good piece of bread, pasta. If I could mm-hmm. sustain on pasta, I would, but just for that month only, I, mm-hmm. I removed the gluten and literally I felt a hot, my brain at my quickness was back. I was worried. Like I'd never have like a quick brain again. Yeah. So I attribute a lot of understanding that to Lauren and Lauren, if you could just, cause I don't think a lot of people realize 
when you're getting rid of sugar, mm-hmm. how important it is. Like to, it's not just the candy. It's not just dessert. No. And I think, you know, I joked about, you know, rats choosing, um, or basically rats, rats choosing uh, sugar over cocaine. I mean, it really is withdrawal like you experience from, you know, any substance that you would detox from, um, not speaking from experience or anything, but, you know, and, and no judgment. But I think that I'm happy that you brought up how you felt mentally, because a lot of the time clients don't even realize they were feeling that way until they remove it. You know, like they're like, oh, yeah. oh my God, I'm waking up feeling this way. I pop out of bed, you know, and, and we focus on you know, aging and we focus on our weight, but that sense that you kind of don't know how good you can feel until you are doing the right things for your body. The reason we did it and do it, and it's not how my clients eat, it's just periodically to pull basically white carbs, um, sugar and alcohol is that if you, you pull just one thing, like if you pulled the sugar and we're still mainlining you know, bagels or something like that, your body for all intents and purposes, your body would feel the same. Right. Right. So you have to, to, you know, sort of take the things out that are not necessarily your, your problem. It's funny because one of the things Lauren said to me is she didn't realize that I was, because I was so naive about food. I was never a dieter. I was never someone that like watched carbs or watched whatever. But I think that's because you didn't have to, right? Mm. You weren't thinking because you didn't have to think about it from a weight perspective or maybe like a skin perspective. You didn't have the impetus. And I always say with like my naturally skinny clients, like I want to see your insides. (laughs) Like, Well, that's the thing. Yeah. I would joke that my insides were like, if you cut me open, it was a disaster inside. Right. Well, we we won't do that, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing. So. Right. But like a couple, two years before the pandemic, I got better and better. I, I kicked the sugar habit. Pandemic sets in. I am mainlining chocolate. Mm-hmm. I am mainlining candy. And now right now I'm incredibly nervous waiting for college stuff to come in for my son. And when I say there's not, it's not like, oh, I can have like four pieces of chocolate and be satiated. Mm-hmm. By the way, you're probably like four. Like that's already so many. No judgment. I can have 16 Hershey kisses and I'm still like, I need, I need chocolate. So it's a terrible feeling when you feel that kind of craving. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, also I'm the last time and we've talked a lot offline, but the last time we recorded, you were like the success story, right? You had this (laughs) sugar issue. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm not saying that, but what I think it's a really good example because every, I think everybody has their thing, whether it's, you know, alcohol, whether it's sugar, whether it's spending, whether, you know, like everybody has like an outlet. Sometimes it's healthy, like exercise, but oftentimes it's not. And when you kick something, there can be this feeling like I'm never going back to eating or drinking that way. Like it's, I'm like, you know, I fixed it. And then you see like all the stresses that you're under, just like, you know, an issue with any other substance pushed enough, you return to, you know, sort of what on some level gives you comfort. I wish that my addiction was cleaning. I say it all the time. Like, oh, you're pretty organized. Yeah, I'm a Virgo. (laughs) (laughs) I wish that that was my addiction. 
Is there a way to replace a sugar addiction with a cleaning addiction? Are there any hacks for that? No, but you can like definitely displace a habit with, you know, I don't know that you're going to be like going from the chocolate bar to your, you know, alphabetizing your spices. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I do think that you can like, you know, swap a hat. Like I always would do this after dinner and I'm going to do this instead because otherwise it can feel like you're, you know, just, it's like crazy making when you give something up initially. So there's that saying about eating around a craving, like not to Mm -hmm. eat around a craving because then you end up eating everything like around the craving, but then you ultimately cave to the craving. Mm -hmm. When people say like, just have a piece of fruit. And by the way, I love fruit and I eat a ton of fruit. That Mm -hmm. is (laughs) never going (laughs) to work. So what do you tell people about super strong sugar cravings or it maybe sugar is not their thing. Maybe it's French fries or maybe it's, what is your advice about cravings? And obviously I'm sure as a nutritionist, it's to cut it before those cravings kick in like way before from changing your diet. Yeah. I mean, I do think that like, if I'm sitting with you and you're a client who is, you know, having tons and tons of sugar, like a lot of naturally healthy things, like fruit, like you mentioned, vegetables, salads, they don't sound good when you're, when you have that much sugar in your diet. But the thing with the craving that you mentioned is that so many of our cravings are impulsive. Um, Like we want, you know, we think about the chip or we think about, you know, the candy and then we go for it. If you can, whether it's leaving the room, setting a kitchen timer, going out, if you can get past the five minute mark with a lot of cravings, you can, you know, derail it at that moment. That's not solving the bigger problem. But I think when you're used to having a lot of something, we, when we get the urge, we think we're automatically going to eat it. Right. Like this is what I do. I feel it. I eat it. I would literally turn the house upside down to find a piece of chocolate if I had to. Right. And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so, but I I think like, like, as you've known, like sweep, it gets sweet. The more you have it, the more you crave it. It's like there's never enough because your blood sugar is going up and down constantly. You feel hungry all the time, even though you're eating, quote, enough. Um, And then when you take it out, it's the opposite, right? Like the less you have, the less you crave. Right, 100%. Okay, so I love that. And I also want to recommend to everyone who's listening, if you have this problem, because I have, I'm going to, I'm going to go back on my fix we're going to call it the fix. I'm going to do, I have to do a reset because it's, it's a really just terrible situation when I'm doing right now to my body, just eating such terrible things, but, but now um, you're outing yourself. So um, yeah, I need like uh, the, the podcast has to be my accountability partner. (laughs) I'm going to come clean because other than that, I eat surprisingly healthy. It's just, Mm -hmm. you see, and you're describing it. It's so distracting when something has that kind of hold on us. It's terrible. Not only the sugar, it's like the mind time and the deliberating and all of those things that go along with it. But I don't think you should do anything drastic to your diet when you're under, like you're still under a bunch of stress. Not that there's ever a time without it, but you just kind of want to pick a time that's more reasonable. Okay. Now, how mm-hmm. can people find your fix? Just foodtrainers.com. We The fix we only offer a few times a year, but these are you know things that I issues that I contend with, with clients all the time.
I want to talk about dry January because I know you oh have God. very strong feelings about that. And before we do, I just want to say Lauren is the one who introduced me to Mezcal in a way that I love Mezcal now. I was always a tequila girl, but I love Mezcal so much now. You're pronouncing it really funny. How, how am I supposed to pronounce it? <laughs> you're making it like really, like I say mezcal, you're saying mezcal. <laughs> I'm, I'm like Hilaria Baldwin. I'm like, would you like exactly. some mezcal? Mezcal. Um, so you're kind of giving away how we feel about dry January. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I just ruined the punchline. But how do you feel about it and why? Okay, so for uh, first I'll be nice. I think as we just discussed, I always think like a challenge or some sort of a system is positive for the most part. January, research proven, is a good time to start to make changes. The start of a year, the start of a month, the start of a season, there's like strategic time to make changes. Having said that, I feel like once, and this happened with like plant-based or, or vegan, like like when it, there's become such a mob mentality that, and it becomes a little preachy, I feel like I have like an allergic reaction to it. You know, it. I have mm-hmm. like clients are now like, what do you think? Should I do dry January? And I'm like, you have two drinks a week. Like you're fairly dry already. You know, right, like right. there are other things we can address. You don't have to just like do this thing because it's a thing. Right. What, why is that a thing? That's just a reset that became, did that become just like an Instagram thing? Because why is everyone seemingly doing dry January? Well, I think it makes sense on the heels of, a, of the holidays, right? Right. Like, well, let certainly. Me dry, yeah. Let me, let me dry out a little bit. I think that it, you know, it started as this like interesting movement and some people were trying it. And then just with social media or, you know, with books written about it and products and non-alcoholic everything, which is another pet peeve, um, it, it just blows up, right? It, right? it becomes like commercialized. And then it's like, it's almost like a cliche, you know, it's like, right. Right. Yeah. And what happens um, in February? <laughs> you know? In February, it's like, it's like, um, keg stands, it's beer pong. Yeah. It's I, you know, I don't, I've never taken part in dry January because mm-hmm. I'm very much, and we're going to get into this because you're big into you're a big believer in intermittent fasting. I have one of those kind of personalities and I've discussed this before. I can't do any type of, once I put a rule on myself, I'm obsessed with breaking it. So you did, but you just said that you did the, you did did. the fix. Yeah. And I have to say, I did, I was able to cheat on the fix a little bit, by the way, if you're going to do Lauren's fix, I don't recommend it. I'm just being honest with you all. I did have like, you know, some wine here or there. And I think I had some, are dates allowed on it? Or am I, did I just make that up? No, dates are not allowed on, but it's so you, you're, it's so funny that you, I was, when I first started practicing, I was in obesity research and I, you know, was like so earnest and I had somebody going through a study and I was looking at their food journal and looking at, you know, the results. And I went to this doctor that was running the study and I'm like, this like, doesn't make sense. This person is blah, 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 blah. And yet nothing, nothing's improving. And he looked at me and he's like, they're lying to you. <laughs> like, <laughs> it had, it hadn't crossed my mind that somebody like, would would, lie like not, and put not them, record yeah, exactly. it. 
Exactly. I'm such a rule follower that I was like, it was, a, it was a really good lesson because, but it's human nature, right? Like yeah. you just said, like to bend the rules, that kind of thing. It, it's just, you want to do a good job. So you omit a few things. I think I cheated oddly enough with dates and I don't know where the dates came from. Cause that's never like my go-to, but I think mm-hmm. I was like, I can have a little sugar. I have, can have two or three dates for dessert? Well, I do believe like, and I do this with some clients it's in, in like what I call methadoning. So you can, <laughs> you can go cold turkey on something and, and, and oftentimes that's a good approach. But like when I see someone trembling at the thought of like not having anything after dinner or like, you know, it's going to backfire sometimes replacing, you know, X sweet candy item with like, a good dark chocolate or something like that. Of course, some people will roll their eyes, but for other people, it's a really good stepping stone. So in some ways we could say like a date, which is a whole food, even though it, you know, has a lot of sugar in it is better than these junkier sweets, right? Right. A hundred percent. But so that's my, so it's funny because about dry January, I actually didn't drink for the two weeks over um, break for no other reason, like then- I was home alone mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, I, my trip got canceled because of Omicron. And usually that's what, usually I'd be like, Oh, I'll have a glass of wine. I'll have like, mm-hmm. and I just was like, I don't really feel like drinking. I feel like not. And then before I knew it, like two weeks had passed and I was like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm doing dry off. December, <laughs> I'm doing dry December. But it's so funny because, but it had, I decided that I was going to do that and made a conscious effort. Yeah. I would have, I have OCD. Like so it I've sort talked- of happened organically for you. Organically. Sort of like, yeah. For example, I don't fast on Yom Kippur. I made that mm-hmm. rule many, many, many years ago. But just knowing Yom Kippur is the next day and people like the idea that like maybe I would fat, it's like an OCD thing. Like I suddenly it's have anxiety have provoking. Yeah. Six meals, six more meals than I usually would. Like I'm like going into hibernation. I'm well, like, it's like that, that expect classic psychology experiment, the white bear experiment where they're like, you know, they say, oh, there's a white bear. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Now don't think about the white bear. Well, what does everybody think about that? I would hundred percent only think about the white bear. Right. I mean, that, that's, you know, that's sort of, human nature. And by the way, we're not saying not to take a break from alcohol. If you think you need a break from alcohol, we a hundred percent or support that a hundred percent. You know, to your point, it doesn't have to be January if that doesn't work for you. And for some people dry is the way to go. And for some people like it's the grossest word, but like, you know, damp, I was going to say moist. I replaced it with damp. Damp is not a gross word, but it's going to say you know, moist. You know, one of those people that I'm not grossed out by moist. I have a question about mocktails and these, you know, non-alcoholic rosés and stuff, because if you struggle with alcohol, seems yeah. like a slippery slope. And a lot of like models of addiction would say that, like they would say, not only should you not do the substance, but you shouldn't do anything that mimics it. Right. The right? Glass because in it's your a, hand. a little bit of a gateway. You're pouring something, the ritual. Right. I, you know, I, I would align with that. I just feel like for somebody again, and I love my mezcal, but I don't, you know, I also am somebody who just doesn't have an addictive personality for them. I mean, could be, I have a compulsive personality, but not an addictive personality is that for me and I get sent everything. I have like non-alcoholic rosés and these, you know, sleep spirits and seedling and kin and all of these things. 
this doesn't fit in anywhere for me. Right. right because right. I'm like, I'm either having a drink or I'm having, you know, or I'm having seltzer or something like that. I just like, why would I have something that's like sweet and sugary when I'm not getting the buzz from, you know, it just, yeah. to me, it makes no sense. I don't like, I don't, I'm, it, I just don't get that. And everything, you know, Katy Perry has uh, like some sort of a mocktail that just came to market, that kind of thing. But, um, and I do in all seriousness, think that it can be a slippery slope for somebody that really has an issue. Intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. This is a really, really hot thing that a lot of people I know are doing. Mm -hmm. My stepfather lost a ton of weight doing it. Yeah. A ton of weight. Um, And I know people that swear by it and you are one of them. Yes. It's so funny. And I just, I'm going to sound like a hypocrite with dry January because a lot of the time, because I am like research focused and long-term focused, a lot of things that like are pop up, you know, sort of pride myself on being anti-trend, but I have to say, and part of it is because there's such like definite benefit. And part of it is just because, you know, it works incredibly well for me. Like I've now turned into like one of the annoying people that I never wanted to be with it because I know that because I've tried to make dinner plans with you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) My, my friend, my friend Jody was, I was like, can we do it early? She's like, are we saying like seven or are we saying like five 30? I'm like, well, as early as you'll go. (laughs) How does it work? What do you like about it? Does it, do you worry about the fact that it's a restrictive lifestyle in a sense? Mm-hmm. Cause I know you're very against that kind of, you know, mm-hmm. like a diet that would maybe turn you into like such a restrictor in any way. So yeah. tell, tell me about it. What's the appeal to you? Why are well, people loving it? Right. I know this is not the audience, but I'm going to just give a really like an example from research because it's, it kind of tells, it explains it to you. Yeah, so my audience, we don't understand research. No, just kidding, guys. You guys are very smart. Okay. So the 2013, one of the like sort of um, original studies, two groups of, of rodents, again, we're back to the rodents, um, want both eating an unhealthy diet. So, By the way, you know, it, rats are like influencers to Lauren. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Where there's a lot of similarities, but anyway, so, well, you can't do, human studies are really difficult to do. So two groups of, of you could think of them as people, both eating a, an unhealthy diet, high, you know, processed food, um, high in sugar, that kind of thing. One could eat around the clock. So mm-hmm. kind of like you. <laughs> and, and the other one, the other group was eating the unhealthy diet, was eating the same amount because people will say you don't. And it was condensed to eight hours. So okay. the around the clock group, obesity, their you know, blood lipids, cholesterol, everything rather quickly took a turn for the worse as, you know, and they started out the same. Um, the other group not only didn't have the, you know, sort of side effects, but their weight improved their memory improved, their balance improved. So with the only variable changing of their timing. So my, actually my 82 year old mother is intermittent fasting because I told her about the brain benefits and she's like, I mean, she's, she's more annoying than I am. She's like, I waited till 11 today. So it's definitely like here to stay. It's, it's a change that I think is actually appealing to some people and especially a lot of guys, because I, I would prefer people improve their diet, but you get a benefit, even if you're not ready to make changes to your diet. So in that way, it's not restrict, it's less restrictive. 
I would not recommend it if somebody has a history of an eating disorder. I obviously would not recommend it too severely to anybody who's pregnant, trying to get pregnant, you know, disclaimer. But I'm, you know, an absolute advocate. Okay. What do you recommend? First of all, what hours do you stop eating for the night? And what time in the morning do you start? Yeah, it depends. Like I was just traveling with, you know, a teenager um, who was not going to eat dinner at 6.30. So I, I, you know, you can switch it a little bit. So just to break it down, um, the benefits, and we're talking about health benefits as well as weight benefits start at 12 hours. So I think okay. that's like, that's like the basic rule for new clients. So start at nine, end at nine, start at eight. You know, that's like, that's where to get started with it because most people eat like 15 hours a day. You know, we're just that left to their own devices. So, so start with 12 hours. If you're not doing that, the sweet spot is keeping your eating window to eight to 10 hours. So eight hours could be 12 to eight. It could be 11 to seven. And, you know, obviously people can do the math for themselves. It depends. Like I would rather start a little earlier and end early, but you have to take socializing and family. I was going to say, if you're more of a night owl, yeah, could you start very late and then not have a breakfast till very late? Yeah. I mean, again, you, I think everything with nutrition, you have to tailor to what works for you. Like mm-hmm. if you're an absolute night owl, you're not going to stop eating at 630 at night. Right. Right. But like, I like I, to have a meal at like midnight, like a gremlin. But you still should have a little bit of a food free window before you go to bed. Right. So if you're going to bed at like 1 a.m., I think like the kitchen should close at 11 just so your sleep does what it needs to do in terms of being restorative. Okay. Last question on this topic. Let's say you're out with friends. What is a good way to handle people like when you're when you have to be out and you're in your fasting window? Right. Well, most of the time a plan, which I wouldn't know about because I have like nothing on my calendar except work. <laughs> um, normally you have a time, right? So if the dinner has to be, you know, my pre- it wouldn't be my, but if the dinner has to be at eight, I would adjust my my window, right? So eight, you're done at 9 30, 10, and I would start a little bit later. Um, but I find, and it might be that I'm just getting older, like, and a lot of people have to wake up early that like people don't push back that much for doing like a reasonably early dinner, like a seven I prefer o'clock. A seven, yeah. Like I'm not yeah. a, like a nine, eight thirty nine is I'm like, what? Right. So I pick my friends according to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Okay, good. I want to do a quick lightning round, just quick answers. Okay. Most annoying food trend that you're seeing out there today? Uh, veganism. I don't know that it's a trend, but it, it it's sort of a trend. And and I don't eat meat and she knows that, but it's fine. Okay. But, but, she, preachy, but I can, preachy, preachy vegan. I'm definitely not a preachy. I yeah. still cook meat for my son. Okay. Um, so, sh- so, and I'm not, not preachy. Um, okay. The food trend you're seeing out there that's being promoted on social media that you agree with and you're happy that it's out there. Intermittent fasting. How do you feel about powdered greens? I feel like they're a good backup. And I think that with anything, it's good to have like an easy version of it. So I like loose tea, but I have some tea bags. I eat greens, but a a greens powder, especially if you don't like to eat greens, I think there's nothing wrong with convenience. It's good strategy. It's better to eat organic fruit or no, no, or not at organic fruit. So to like have fruit or no fruit at all, or did I ask that yeah. right? Yeah. I think you don't want to let, what is it? You don't want to let perfect be the enemy of the good. So uh-huh. 
I think a lot of people, especially rule followers, are like, you know, like strawberries are very heavily sprayed. Like, true. But again, if it's eating the fruit because you have access to that or what you can afford or whatever is, you know, available or eating, you know, we don't want to trade the conventional strawberry for a cookie, right? Before I let you go, there's one question that needs a longer answer. Why is diet a bad word? Why does it get a bad rap? Why are people not allowed to diet? Why are they not allowed to cut calories? Why do people get mad at Lizzo for losing weight? Why is that? Why is why is diet getting canceled? Right. So you do like, do you know what my second book is on? No. It's basically that with basically that title, which is a little scary. But diet is a four-letter word. Um similar, right. So you're either doing a restrictive diet that's ridiculous and rigid and um, you know, impossible to maintain, or you're like loving your body every single second and you're shunning any sort of food system. It, like the fact that you ha- you do not have to choose either or, right? right? We can do a food plan that's sensible, that's not like what our mothers did in, you know, 1985 and tab and sweet and low. Yeah, oh my god, tab. <laughs> um and um like like instant memories. Um and and also work on feeling good in our bodies and accepting ourselves and all of those things. So even Lizzo has, you know, Lizzo had a green juice or did some sort of a detox and people went nuts. Like she's not allowed to do that because she feels good in her, you know, body most of the time. Bibi Rexa, the singer recently, she, you know, is I think she's gorgeous. She is like the, you know, the poster child for body positivity and loving your curves and actually, you know, said, I haven't, I haven't been posting a lot this whole year. I don't feel good. And she was almost like contrite to admit that because Mm -hmm. there's, you know, you kind of box yourself into a corner. Yeah. I've seen Remy Bader do that recently because at the end of the day, we are all human. And even if we love our bodies, we're going to have times where something is bothering us. I I aspire to like loving my body, but I'm, I'm, my personality type is more just not hating my body, you know, (laughs) like, it's like, you know, some of these things I think are just like ideals that like, just like they work in theory, but they don't work in practice. And if you eating less sugar or, um, you know, another person eating more vegetables or me working on the timing of my day leaves you feeling improved and you want to call that a diet, I don't care. Call it a diet. It's not cabbage soup. As always, I love speaking to you. I can't wait to have a four o'clock dinner with you very soon. Before we leave, tell everyone how they could find you, stalk you, what they can how they can get involved with you and food trainers and all this stuff. Yeah. So it's basically food trainers on any platform. I'm getting back into tweeting. So, but my Twitter has been, you know, I've been, I've forgotten about Twitter and um, foodtrainers.com. You can check out the shop there, um, become a client if you want to read some follower on Instagram. Right. At food trainers. Okay. Lauren, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. 
Guys, thanks so much for tuning in to Social Studies with Jenna Kingsley. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to stalk me, you can do that on Instagram at Jenna Kingsley. You can visit my website, jennakingsley.com. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Jenna Kingsley. If you have a topic you think we should cover, you can slide into the DMs or send me an email. Have a great week and I will speak to you guys soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.